recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagonia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, February 2nd, 2013. Thank you for listening, and praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, true Israel, not the God of the Jews. I hope to get the chance to discuss that tonight. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. I have Carolyn Yeager here with me tonight, and we're going to discuss a, a speech, a very early speech of Adolf Hitler's entitled, Why We Are Anti-Semites. This is a speech which he gave at the Great Hall of the Hofbrauhaus on Friday, August 15, 1920. Carolyn herself is excited about the speech because... As she has told me, yeah, you know, parts of this speech really look familiar to me, but at, and, and that's probably from reading Mein Kampf and other Adolf Hitler speeches. His, his ideas were very consistent right from the beginning. Jim Condit, you're a clown. Well, well Carolyn has told me that this is the first time this speech appears in English, and, and um, I, I'd taken her word for it. She only posted it to her website a few days ago, if I'm not mistaken, on January 28th or 29th. And she's excited about it, and, and um, she's going to have the opportunity to present all the highlights here tonight. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hello, Bill. I'm Thank delighted you. to be here. Thank you for being here. The, the, um, I'm hoping to have some of the opportunity. I, I, I know that um, Christianity is not your, your, your area of study. I, I don't get, you know, we all can't have the same area of study. That That's... Um, that that's fully understood. I'm hoping to be able to use tonight to to to, to elucidate at least some of the um, the differences in the way that identity Christians and white nationalists and national socialists, of course, looked at the Hebrew Bible. And, and um, I know that we have differences of opinion on some things, but but it is my area of study, and and. Um, I think that identity Christians kind of do for the Bible what Holocaust revisionists do for Adolf Hitler. It is that we go back and, and we actually study the, the circumstances, the contemporary histories, the inscriptions, whatever material that we can gather and, and attempt to correct the historical record. Just like Holocaust revisionists, we face great hurdles and, and a great propaganda effort. Uh, part of the yeah, you're right, and you know I I have no problem with that at all. I think that's what you should be doing, and that's how we're going to approach this. It's your program, and you want to approach it and bring out use it to bring out some of those things, um, and that's fine with me. Uh, I I love this speech. I loved it before I ever saw it. The first time I ever heard of the title of it, I liked it, and <laughs> so. Well, well, what, that, that's basically what I focus on, you know, is that part of it. Well, well right. I understand that. I, I understand that. Your, your area of study is, and, and your area of research is con, confined for the most part to, to things around World War II and more modern. That's right. Or more modern times. And, and that's, yeah, you know, that, that's, I'm, a, I'm a hobbyist with World War II. Uh, a lot of people think that I fashion myself an expert just because I, I have a pretty, um, I don't know how to explain the Mein Kampf site, right? It, it, it has a lot of original documentation. I've done a lot of podcasts. But there's only some of my own research there, and, and most of it's other people's research. Some of it's your research. I mean, when I did the, the – um, 
Operation Valkyrie, and, and that's basically we met shortly after that. And right. Discussed that in podcast. That was your research, and and I've always made it plain that I was simply um, producing other people's research in my podcasts and on 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 the on the that are demons that are posted on that website. Yeah. And in the papers I have posted on that website, I don't claim to be an expert on World War II. It's my hobby. It, it's my well, when I was studying the Bible and the classics. The, the Barnes Review and, and the Germar Rudolph books and similar books, that they were my leisure reading. So, so I, I have done some reading, but not deep research. That's pretty heavy research. Uh, pretty heavy, uh, what did you call that? Uh, my leisure. Leisure, leisure research. The Barnes Review was my <laughs> leisure reading for 10 years. Yeah, well, I have to make a little correction. You know, what you were reading, when you and... Uh, Sword Brethren were reading those uh, chapters from about Valkyrie that appeared uh, that uh, Wilhelm uh, Mann and I uh, did that were in the Barnes Review. That was actually Hermann Giesler, and we translated it. And oh, you did we did add some uh, supplementary uh, articles, little ones, and uh, you you might have read some of that. But I don't want to claim that that's my research. And you know I'm uh, I'm not an expert on World War II. I don't know what it takes to become a real expert. Uh, that's so it's so huge. But I call it more than my hobby. So it's it's my uh, field of interest. <clears throat> um, well, you can't be an expert at every aspect of everything. Uh, no. <laughs> even the um, that the ancient Greeks that there's reading I haven't done, and and I've read most of their histories and and most of their poets. But I haven't read the philosophers, and, I, and I'll admit that. I admit it all the time. I, I haven't read the philosophers, philosophers for the sake of mental hygiene, and, and that's the way I look at it. But no, you can't – any topic and any subject of study can't be covered completely by one person. If it was that easy, I, I mean, everybody would be doing it. Well, yes. You know, I mean, if you're a scholar and you're paid by uh... – uh, institution or university from the time you, you know, got your PhD or something to study one area, and even then they specialize in a part of it, and just know everything about that, you know, you might be called, you know, um, an expert at that, but um, other than that, everybody's doing the best they can. Um, okay, well, I'm, I'm really happy that you're going to talk about this, that we're going to talk about this tonight, because I, I would like it to be I want it to be talked about. You know. I think it's a great speech. Well, well, I was happy when I when I read the speech and and um, this afternoon I, I had written a paper. I don't know if you read it or not on on Christian socialism. I actually wrote two papers so far in Planet Third, and um, it, yeah, I, I read the first one. And I haven't gotten around to the second one yet. There's no way I could have seen this speech before I wrote that paper because it was in my Saxon Messenger two months ago. But the um, my, my idea of the way work has evolved and, and the reasons for work and, and, and why we work, and, and they're, they're almost, um, almost identical. They're, they're extremely similar to Adolf Hitler's ideas. I mean, they're, they're practically identical, yes. Well, you're, you know, you are similar in your thinking of Adolf Hitler of, in a lot of ways. And, what you know, you have looked into it more than most people. Most people haven't read Mein Kampf, and you, you know, you you know a lot, and uh, and you like him, so uh, you know you have similar ways of thinking. Well, I feel like I do too, and I and I really like that he started out with work and talked so much about the importance of work. I like that very much. 
I, I just didn't like what he had to say about the Bible and work, but that's okay. We'll get it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go ahead and make your points. I mean, you know, there were three main sections you dealt with here. And, I, you know, it's such a long speech. You know, this man, I just have to say this. He he didn't have speech writers, and I don't think he wrote this. I, of course, how, how do we have it now? I really don't know, but he certainly didn't sit down and type it um, out. Uh, I don't know what he, I think he used notes. I don't know if somebody, they had people there who took, uh, who, who wrote it down as he was speaking. He, he doesn't always talk real fast, so they might have been able to do that because they have it all here. Um, but he just spoke a lot in a sort of extemporaneous way. Um, he had to he, he, uh, he had to have a lot of confidence in what he knew and what he thought to be able to do that. Well, well, it was a party at the time. It was a small party. I mean, he was the seventh member probably in in early 1920 and 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 um, or late 1919, and, and um, still they had that they had. Um, well, well, probably very modest funds, but they had people that were volunteers that I'm sure he probably had a stenographer. Adolf Hitler, all through his um, political career, was very um, open to having all his words recorded. Uh, I mean, the Table Talk book reflects, uh, we know that the book is a fraud because it, it was perverted from its original language into English, but but it does reflect a lot of his actual recorded mm-hmm. words at, at dinners and, and other meetings that he had. But he had always had recorders with him and, and his stories. Well, I don't I guess, but um, those table talks that that kind of that kind of stenography that kind of taking down didn't occur until oh at least forty two, maybe forty three or something. So previous to that, but yeah, obviously uh, somebody took down this speech as he was giving it, but I don't think that he had it all written out in advance. Well, probably not. Uh, I mean, it, it's probably bullet points or, or just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read that that's the way he generally did it. He'd just write down certain points and he'd make little, maybe little notes about some things and uh, and then he'd, he'd work from that. That's what I read. I don't remember where I read it, but... Um, so anyway, uh, it just sounds like him. I mean, we both we both acknowledge that this really sounds like him. It's not a fraud. It's, uh, well, I can make it sound like him, but you know, it's not something that uh, it's not what he would say. It sounds very much like him, all of it, and his wit, his joke. A lot of it sounds like it, but I don't think he had the the consistent that the ideas which he presents from from the Bible, from my perspective, are, are wrong here, of course. But he's taking advantage uh, of certain things in order to condemn the Jews. Now, now, I think that the Jews could be condemned without even opening the Bible, just on 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 their um, uh, on their behavior all through history, and on their real religious book, which is the Talmud. Their real religious book is not the Bible. The Jews give the Bible lip service. They practice the Talmud, and that can that's be, right. I agree. Fully demonstrated, and, and for, for instance, um, Jews regularly hold ritual sacrifices of chickens and sacrifice chickens to Satan. Where is that in the Bible? Jews say the Kal Nidra every year at the Day of Atonement, and the Kal Nidra is a prayer which excuses them from all of their oaths for the year. Where is that in the Bible? 
You don't find those things in, in Hebrew literature. You don't find them in Hebrew apocryphal literature. They are a, a, um, a, a product of rabbinical thinking that, that has the, the same thinking that produced the Talmud. The Talmud is basically a... Um, but the Talmud first reflects democracy, and the Jewish love for democracy is found in the Talmud because all of the opinions and Jewish law, the law they really follow comes from a majority of rabbinical opinions where, where they agree. And, and that's what they follow. And, and, and that's how they conduct themselves. And, and those rabbinical opinions, I've read sections of the Mishnah and, and, and Midrash and, and, and other Jewish books from the Talmud, and, and those things, they, they read like American case law, but much worse. And all they are are arguments as to how to get around, how to rationalize the, the law that they have in the, in, in the Torah, which they claim is theirs, but which they don't follow, because that, that they have all these crazy ideas about being able to, to violate it and get around it, and basically that's what the Talmud is. It's, it's, it's perverse. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what Alfred Rosenberg wrote, um, that, that if you read the Talmud, which he did, also, uh, that it's so uh, it's so insipid for one thing, and they're not talking about anything meaningful, and they're making these uh, kind of arguments, if you even want to call them that, about these in in um, non-essential issues and silly things. And well, most of, of it is silly. Yes, most of it yeah. is silly. Mm-hmm. But right. but some of it's very important, and I've actually read passages that that basically permit. Um, Jews to violate girls under nine years old or, or under a certain age because their hymens will grow back and they'll be virgins mm-hmm. again when they grow up. It, it, a lot of the Talmud gives them license to be the perverts, the whoremongers that they are. Well, you know, what Rosenberg was really saying was that there's supposed to be all this wisdom in the Talmud and they portray these, uh, all these old great rabbis of theirs, you know, as these wise men. And he said there was nothing wise in in there are discussions that they had. They were, that's what he meant by that. Um, well, well, right, and, and that's also very true to a great extent also. That the opening, in the opening of the speech, Hitler speaking to the common man explains the concept of work and, and what it is, how we as men and women initially worked out of the necessity of the survival of our clans, and later as our clans grew into more stable communities, Work, work became specialized, and our work was integral to the survival of our community as well as our immediate family, well, which is really the wider, the community is really the wider collection of families and clans held together with the, the, the common bonds of blood. So, so in essence, we do not work only for ourselves, for our own enrichment. Now, now that encapsulates to me that the the, um, the antithesis to materialism, right? And mm-hmm. we work so that our community, which is naturally the collection of both our immediate families and the other families around us that descended from common ancestors, can benefit. And that's you know I call Adolf Hitler a Christian. It doesn't matter what he thinks about the Bible. But these things are Christian principles as well. And even in the speech, Adolf Hitler recognizes the parallels and, and the similarities. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
So, yeah, his, his base, the basic philosophy of National Socialism is very close to real Christianity. It's, it's just plain it. Well, well, where he goes wrong, and, 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 and where, to me, he, he first goes wrong, is he uses the illustration, and he takes, um, in the section where it says, can the Jew build a state, Adolf Hitler seems to take it for granted that the Bible is a Jewish book. And, and to me, that's a fatal mistake, right? And, and I know that all white nationalists, and I know that Christians, Christians for, for um, many centuries have taken it for granted that the Jews are descended from the Israelites of the Bible. There, there's no doubt that that's true. But just because they took it for granted doesn't mean that it's a fact. Now, um, we could get into that a little more later. In Mein Kampf, Hitler seems to take it for granted that the Bible is a Jewish book, but in Mein Kampf, Hitler himself used many other examples from the Bible in order to illustrate that the existence and achievement of the Aryan man is indeed the pinnacle of the creation of the God of the Bible. And the two ideas cannot coexist, one of them has to be wrong, right? If the Bible is a Jewish book, then, then I don't see how we can think that the Aryan man is the pinnacle of the creation of the God of the Bible. And if the Bible... And did he say that in Mein Kampf? You have that? Well, well let, let, me, let, let me say that he, framed, he said that and framed it in very Christian terms, right? He said first, on, on, and on all my page numbers are the Murphy edition, which is on my website, right? Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler, Mein Kampf, page 142. The sin against blood and race is the hereditary sin in this world. And that's a, a reference to the, the original sin Catholic concept of Genesis chapter 3. And, and it brings disaster on every nation that commits it. He says, but finally, the conquering race, and this is page 165, and he's speaking of Aryans who had migrated to parts of the world outside of Europe, right? But, fi but finally, the conquering race offended against the principles which they had first observed, namely the maintenance of their racial stock unmixed. They began to intermingle with the subjugated people. And, and here's the reference that's clearly biblical. And, and from the, the identity Christian point of view, it is clearly true, right? Thus they put an end to their own separate existence, for the original sin committed in paradise has always been followed by the expulsion of the guilty parties. Adolf Hitler is there professing his belief that race mixing was the original sin committed in paradise, which most identity Christians that, I, that, that are... are, are um, well, well, in agreement with me, would agree to. That, well, what did you say that thus they put an end to their what? Well, well they put an end to their own separate existence, and then he oh. says, for the original sin committed in paradise, and that's a reference to the Genesis account, has always been followed by the expulsion of the guilty parties, which is also a reference to the Genesis account. Yeah. Well, you know, he, I know that... Um, he likes to use biblical references. I don't know. Uh, well, yes, but if he, they just fit. <laughs> he, he used them commonly, and and it, from an identity Christian viewpoint, from my viewpoint, from that of Eli, even Eli James's viewpoint, right? 
and, mm-hmm. and Clifton's and so on and so forth, Bertrand Compre, all the prominent identity Christian scholars going back for, for several decades what would, what would see this and recognize it because it, it's what we believe that the Bible is telling us, that the Genesis 3 is a race-mixing event what, which caused the, the, the expulsion of the guilty parties from paradise. I'd like to read one more. Um, well, one more is page 216 of Mein Kampf, the Murphy translation. To undermine the existence of human culture by exterminating its founders and custodians. Now, identity Christians would believe that the white race is, is the focus and subject of the Bible. And um, we are indeed, compared to the rest of the races of the world and their achievements, we are indeed the founders and custodians of human culture. He says, to undermine the existence of human culture by exterminating its founders and custodians would be an execrable crime in the eyes of those who believe that the folk ideas, that the folk idea lies at the basis of human existence. Whoever would dare to raise a profane hand against that highest image of God, and, and that there shows his belief that it's the white man who was the pinnacle of God's creation, right? Among his creatures would sin against the bountiful creator of this marvel and would collaborate in the expulsion from paradise. And there, there, there again, we, we, we have exactly what identity Christians believe about Genesis chapter 3. So, so that's why Mein Kampf, that, that is why when I read Mein Kampf, that, you know, it, it, it was... It, it was the. Um, it, it was rather late in my reading. I only read it in 2007, I think, and in 2008, in, in there somewhere. But well, when I read Mein Kampf, it resonated with me because I had already done most of the studying that that I've done to produce my Christian identity um, essays and tracts and 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 my, my other papers. So, so it, it resonated with me not not only for those reasons. That there's a lot of other reasons, but these are clearly um, signal signal in in Adolf Hitler's writings because they reflect the same understanding of Genesis chapter three that we have, and, and that every time we repeat a, that this race mixing error, what we follow after the same pattern of of what we would call sin. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, definitely he was promoting that blood and race is the most important thing. And so if he could find um, uh, good sources in the Bible that would support that, I this is how I would look at it. He would use them, because knowing that his German people were Christian, and uh, a lot of them were familiar with the Bible. And so that would only strengthen in the people their belief in this and, you know, the rightness of it. I don't know if he was, if it was, Proving uh, exactly what all his, you know, beliefs were, um, you know, in the way that you think. Um, what well, well, philosophies of the the the, the 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 social philosophies of national socialism, that <laughs> the economic philosophies, they are Christian in nature. In, in nature. Well, I agree with that. I've said I, I do. I do agree with that. And when when uh, I combine the two together, I see Adolf Hitler as a Christian, regardless of whether he thinks the Old Testament is Jewish or not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't right. really matter. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that, that that together is why I believe Adolf Hitler is a Christian. That now a lot of he he you know Christians are not churchgoers. Well, that's what I was just going to say right, that right. so many people 
when you say that Jesus, uh, that uh, uh, Adolf Hitler was a Christian, they start thinking about church Christians and Christian Zionists and all kinds of Christians uh, that uh, that are not what you call real Christians, and that that's a distinction that always has to be remembered. Well, well, right, Christian Zionists, um, the, the people that go to church on Sunday and and spend an hour in church listening to some guy that was drunk the night before give some silly um, New Age sermon about drunkenness and and or or, or homosexuality. That that's not Christianity, right? I mean that that's not. That they, those people, they leave that church and, and they don't think about Christianity again until the next Sunday. You know, the next Sunday when, they, when they, their wives drag them off there again at 9 a.m. Or, or, or when they go because they really want a business deal with the, the, the electrician down the road that goes to that same church or whatever. That those people aren't Christians. Christian is how you live your life. And and if you really studied the the scriptures from the from our viewpoint from the Christian identity, I, I mean, I could support my viewpoint fully in the scripture itself. It, it's all about blood and race and how you treat your, your racial kindred, and, mm-hmm. and and that's real Christianity. Real Christianity is religion is is what you believe. To me, religion and faith are what you believe. And you display them by how you live your life. That's your religion. By- well, most people, when they think of uh, the Christian religion, they think of uh, universalism. They don't think of and they don't think of racialism at all. Well, well, you know, they have it turned around. Yeah, you know, in, in, in the opening chapters of Genesis, we're, we're given this poetic account of the creation of God, and, and a lot of it's allegorical. But a dozen times the words kind after kind are referenced. Everything after it's kind. The, the whole Bible is a book about genealogy. The whole Bible, now, now I know some people will say, oh, Paul condemned genealogies. Well, that's just a lie. Paul condemned the vain genealogies of the Greeks. And to understand the vain genealogies that, that were in vogue in P- Greek paganism at the time, you really have to read things like Hesiod's Theogony, because the Greeks actually believed that, that um, some god would come down from heaven and, and rape some white woman or, or some young woman, and, and whole tribes sprung from those unions, right? I mean, that's the, the Greek tribes counted their genealogies in, that, in those fashions. And, mm-hmm. and um, that they were vain. That, that, they, that they were the pagan myths, right? And um, Christians considered them vain. And um, that the, the, the genealogies in, in the Bible, it can be demonstrated, relate peoples of the same race and... and Christians don't consider them vain, and they they have a much better historical basis than a lot of the silly silly myths that the Greeks and Romans had concerning the origins of tribes. So so Paul was attacking vain genealogies, but race. Paul told the Corinthians not to commit fornication. If if you want to study the word fornication, Jude told um, Jude defined fornication as the the, the pursuit of different flesh. And Paul describes, to, in his warning to the Corinthians about fornication, he hearkens back to a race-mixing event in, in, in Numbers chapter 25. And he cites that. 
and mm-hmm. it's clearly a race-mixing event. There are, there, so there are clear admonitions in the New Testament about race-mixing. There, there are many clear admonitions. However, the church, churchianity, the, the Catholic Church, in, in its attempt to establish basically a universal religion, has perverted a lot of that language. Well, what about, uh, what, what about the idea that Paul had I think for and they all had was for the for the Jews and the non-Jews to join the church together. Now they didn't see that as race. I think it was what was the the Israelite Judeans, the white Judeans. Paul made a clear distinction. Paul made a clear distinction between the the Edomite and Canaanite people in Judah and Judea, and and the true Israelite people in Judea who were white. So are those Canaanite, those people that you said were in uh, Judah, are they what you consider those the Jews? Well, well, yes. The, the the Jews of today are not descended from the Israelites of Judah. They are in part, right? Just like the Jews of today are in part descended from from German people. And and but, but what was this distinction between the between Judah and the other? Well, well, the distinction is the, the distinction was that the tribes of Canaan were mixed race tribes, and they were cursed. They were always considered cursed throughout throughout the Old Testament. They were considered cursed, and oh. about two hundred years before Christ, they had infiltrated the court of the Maccabees, and and they had actually convinced the Maccabees that the the, the, the um, dynastic rulers of Judea from from during in the intertestamental period who ruled Judea down to about 40 BC, right? And, and um, the Maccabees were convinced that they should go out and forcibly convert all the Edomite and Canaanite tribes to the re- ancient religion of the Hebrews, which was at this time called Judaism by the Greeks. Judaism is the Greek word for it. Well, they did that. And that's well recorded in the histories. It's recorded in Josephus. It's mentioned by the Greek geographer Strabo that the Edomites the, and, and the other tribes had, had um, coexisted with the Judeans in Judea. So Judea was, by the second century BC, Judea was no longer a kingdom. It was basically a, a polyglot mini empire. Oh, okay, and, and is that where the Jews say they come from, Judea? Well, well, um, do they claim well, that? Don't they claim that? They all claim that they come from Judea, but they're, they're they're actually they had mixed their blood with these Edomites and these Canaanites, mm-hmm. and, and it mm-hmm. was a pretty mixed multicultural nation by the time of Christ. And the reason for all the division in the New Testament is attributed to that mixing in the New Testament itself. Mm. Hmm. Well, I sure never learned any of that when I was uh, a Christian. Well, well, that's because to, <laughs> to, to Universalist Catholics, race doesn't matter. They don't. But in the beginning it did, didn't it? Didn't the original church... Uh, well, well, in the beginning, race absolutely... ...care about that and for quite a while. Didn't they keep... Uh, they were anti-Jewish and anti-lots uh, of Well, things. they were anti-Jewish. That There weren't any missionaries to the Arabs. That There was nobody trying to convert the Muslims to Christianity. No. They were trying no. to run the Muslims. They were trying to run the Arabs. On yeah, the- so weren't they, wasn't they, weren't they doing a pretty good job there for quite a while? Absolutely. The, the church, the, what was 
became called the Catholic Church. Well, well the, the, the whole idea of evangelizing the, the non-white races really didn't come into popularity until the time of the Jesuits in, in the 15th, 16th centuries. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty late. Yes, it is. So it was doing a good job up till then. There, there were no Catholic missionaries in the Congo before then. Yeah. Right. So that's when it started. It, it's it, it's um, early Christians would have thought it ridiculous to try to convert the, the, the um, heathens of other races. Uh, I mean, we had the fringes. You, you've always had the fringes. You've always had people at the fringes who who have um, and at the fringes of of you know the Roman society, the Byzantine society that that um, blurred the lines, so to speak. But generally. The other races were never evangelized un- until recent times, at least well, that, relatively recent times. Well, what were these? Uh, so were they called? Then they by then they were called Jews, and we had Jews by the 15th, 16th century. Well, uh, yes, but because, who were they? But because of a, um, but because of the Dark Ages, and because of of, of an absence of not knowledge, but a lot of knowledge during the Dark Ages and, and the late medieval church, and because the, the late medieval church really didn't care about race, the Jews have basically gotten away with um, masquerading as the people of the Bible. Today's Jews are not the people of the Bible in name only. Today's Jews aren't the people of the Bible, just like the Negroes in Harlem aren't the Dutch settlers. And, and for basically the same reason. <laughs> Well, now, Hitler says in the speech that uh, the people called the Aryans created all the great cultures of the ancient world. But he still talks like they came from the north, which you say is impossible. Well, well, it is impossible. It's geologically impossible. And it's not true according to all of the classical literature. Mm-hmm. It's not true, and and I'm about to present. I hope probably um, this summer. I'm well, well, maybe as early as this spring. I'm going to present my six-part German origin series of, of papers of essays that I've written right on this program. That the um, the Germanic tribes, that the Saxons, the Cimmerians, that they it it can be pretty much demonstrated in early classical history and in archaeology that their roots are in Asia and ultimately Mesopotamia. That, that, well, that, that's it. I mean, he actually said two things, it seems to me. He was saying that, um, that these, group, these Aryans that came out of, uh, of Persia and, and some different, I can't, I can't even say where, where it was now, um, sure. in that central, central Middle Asia area, that they then uh, went into... Uh, well, I don't know. They they went into all these India and Egypt and so on and mixed with the people. Uh, well, well yeah, that is created true. those races. But then he also talks about them being in the ice, you know, up in the ice age in the very cold part. So maybe there was uh, they're not all just one people coming from one place. Well, well, they they basically are. There were basically many. Um, of the Phoenicians and, and the Malaysians and the Danans and the other tribes that had long before settled the coast of Europe in the West 
and I'm I'm talking mm-hmm. probably before the beginning of the first millennium BC, there were great settlements of those people along the northwest coast of Europe in, in the more temperate zones, the zones that, that were affected by the Gulf Stream. But most of northern Europe was in a relative ice age uh, until not long before the time of Christ, and, and it was basically uninhabitable. All of the Greek writers for, for hundreds of years said that the lands north of the Danube were uninhabitable. Herodotus, the, the, the great historian who actually visited the Danube and, and spent some time there, had said that the, um, the lands north of the Danube were virtually uninhabited except for the Siganahi, who were colonists of the Medes. Now, later on in the geography of Strabo, we find that there's a tribe called the Siganahi, which dwelt along the Caspian Sea, right near where Persia would be located, in, in that area, on the southern edge of the Caspian. So, so we, you know, Herodotus can be substantiated. The, the, um, the, the Sake and, and, and the Kimeroi or the Kimerians, they can be traced to Mesopotamia in Persian and Assyrian inscriptions. Yeah, you know, that it's Christ, identity Christians just don't make this stuff up. It's all in papers on my website. All the citations are there. The inscriptions are there. The, 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 yeah. the, the attestations of, of the earliest Greek poets and historians are there. And all of my logic is is in my historical essays on my website. That that's um that that's besides the point. I wouldn't expect a man like Adolf Hitler to know all that. No. And now here's something that he says. Uh, he says we can see this hardship in early prehistory, above all in the northern part of the world, in those enormous ice deserts where only the meagerest existence was possible. And then he goes on some. Now. Um, they were forced to fight for their existence. But you're saying that uh, they couldn't have been in ice deserts. They couldn't have been living there. No, they didn't have the tools to survive in ice deserts. That, that we don't, but we can't, that the archaeological findings that have been found, okay, mm-hmm. allow for only the meagerest populations, but those populations are basically wanderers to the north from the more temperate climates who have, who have who, who did not survive in 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 any significant numbers or over any significant periods of time in order to establish any real civilizations there are no civilizations in 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 the north in archaeological findings they are not there well, he must have read this i i you know in 1920 already he hadn't even been out of the service for very long. Well, well right, but there, and, were, and, there were a lot of philosophers in the 1800s trying to imagine a, a, a northern um, origin for the Aryan man. Yeah, and there, and there was, uh, he had been to some museums uh, where they had, uh, they had these displays and they had things and he talked to them, but this, he talked to the curators about it and so on, but this was later. This wasn't this early. So wherever he got this idea, he got it from reading, and it sounded uh, good, well, and it fit his thesis, if we, so he used it. If we, if we read Strabo, if we read Tacitus, and, and I read the Germania, right? If we read those later writers, we do find that there are Germanic tribes all the way to the shores of the Baltic. 
But Europe had undergone a warming period leading up to that period, and, mm-hmm. and, and it could be demonstrated through, through the classical histories that the um, and, and to archaeology, Eastern archaeology to a great degree, that the tribes in the days of Tacitus, who, who had extended themselves to the Baltic, the the Kimeroi, the Kimerians, the the um, the Esti, or, or the forerunners of the modern Estonians, the the Swebi, and and the um, the the Suiones, or the forerunners of the modern day Swedes. Well, well, those people had come from regions in, in, in and around the Danube and migrated to the north. That is, just because they're there in the days of Tacitus doesn't mean that they originated there. Now, those people are described as, having, uh, as living extremely meager lifestyles. Those people are described as basically living out of wagons and off their flocks and, and as being very mobile. In other words, they had no lasting settlements. And Mm -hmm. to have no lasting, um, durable settlements is inconsistent with the idea, first, that they were there for a long time, and and second, that they they had established, you know, that they had an established presence there for for a long time. It's contrary to that idea. Yes, um... And then he says, I'm, I'm looking for it, but I went too far and I, my thing shifted. But he, he was saying that uh, when they moved south, or no, when the ice started melting, but at the same time they moved south, and they didn't need to move well, south. Why would the they move south melting. the ice was melting? Yeah, I know. that. But I noticed that, and that didn't make, wasn't too clear to me. And part of it might be in the translation. Uh, I'm not going to blame the translator, but, you know, it, it can be difficult to translate from German to English. I know, well, I know well, that. Well, things can happen. Man, but, uh, if we, you know, he, then he was just saying that then they expanded in what they were able to do when they got into the warmer climate. So he he wasn't like thinking that this was great that they, you know, stay forever in these... Uh, if we look at modern man, it takes a hell of a lot of technology and engineering for us to live and, and sustain ourselves in hostile, ice-covered environments. And mm-hmm. we only managed to yeah. do it in very small numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and well, they couldn't have been. They couldn't have been up there. They wouldn't have stayed there. I mean, in that, that bad. Those populations are, um, are, are usually very dependent on certain materials from outside anyway. Well, they needed game. I mean, there had to be a place where game was... Well, well, right, and, and if there's no grass, what does game sustain itself on? Yeah, right, right. So, um, so uh, that doesn't. Uh... It, it's it it doesn't wash. It it doesn't. Europe was was still in an ice age. The glaciers were just receding at the dawn of the classical era. It, 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 yeah, so a lot. I know it was very disappointing when you said that there couldn't have been any of these far northern races. Way back then, but when, when, when would there have been? Were there, were, were there at diverse times people that wandered north and, and, and possibly left behind archaeological remains and, and, and because they had settled there for short periods of time in, in, mm-hmm. in long treks and moved on? Yes, that's very possible. But that's all the, that, that is what the, the, the archaeological remains that I've seen, that's what they support. 
They don't support durable, lasting civilizations, civilizations which lasted and built themselves up over, uh, over even hundreds of years, never mind thousands. The archaeology does not support that at all. That the that nothing that I've ever seen. That now the um, that there were be, because the coasts have, have of northern Europe had been fed with the Gulf Stream and and um, some of them are somewhat warmer than the interiors. Yeah, there were places where men settled for for periods of time and, and managed to leave behind some archaeological remains. But that still doesn't it, it doesn't account for that being the fount of our Nordic race. It wasn't you, the fount mm-hmm. of our Nordic race. Um, I, I know that uh, later, like it would have been around 1930, 31, maybe even 32, it was right before he became chancellor in those few years. And this is from uh, Otto Wagner's uh, notes, that wonderful book that he wrote, that at that time, Hitler was saying, and he was he was looking, he had been studying this and so on. And this is when he went to some of these uh, museums there in Munich and so on. And uh, he was saying that, uh, that this idea that uh, Aryans developed in the frozen north or in the north is just wrong, that there's nothing they could have done there, and that uh, that civilization began in the south and we need to look to places like Italy, around the Mediterranean, to see where this uh, where civilization first flourished and became, uh, you know, Aryans flourished and so on. So he changed his mind from then to then. You know, like you say, this is an early speech. He probably it all sounded good to him and fit in with his idea of the uh, the German work. Well, ethic. it does, and there's a lot of people. A lot of people reject the Bible and they reject classical history because they see those things as sword, the, the, the work of swarthy Mediterraneans, that they see those things as the work of the Jews. Believe me, I would be the first guy to reject the, worst, the work of the Jews. I might be second or third. I'll be third and I'll be happy because only Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler would be in front of me. I swear that that's the way it is. Jesus wasn't a Jew. Today they're trying to make Hitler a Jew. Hitler wasn't a Jew. But, well, the, the accusation to somebody in the first century that Jesus was a Jew would have been ridiculous. The accusation to anybody except maybe Jim Condit and a few clowns mm-hmm. who follow him in this century that Hitler was a Jew is also ridiculous. Uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, the Jews love, if they can't destroy you, they will claim you as their own, and that destroys you. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. The, the um, yeah, you know, the the settlement of Europe came first by sea and and later by land, and and when it came by sea, it came from the Levant, from from Syria and and Palestine and and Egypt and and the coast of Europe all the way beyond to Britain and possibly to to the mainland from Britain and definitely the coast of France, the river valleys of France and Iberia that they were settled, and, and the coast of Liberia, they were settled, and Ireland, they were settled by people from the, the Levant. Uh, I mean, the, the, the people, if you read the Book of the Invasions and, uh, of, in the Irish folklore, you'll see that the tribes that settled Ireland were, were the Tawasa de Dan and the tribe of Dan. They're related to a lot of the Dan and Greeks. They're the, they're the Hebrew tribe of Dan. And you'll see the Millids or the Malaysians, and, and they're actually Phoenicians. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I, I could talk about this all day. The, the Greeks, the, the Greeks of Sparta, according to the historian Flavius Josephus, according to the Book of Maccabees, that the Greeks of Sparta were Dorian Greeks, and they claimed a, a kindred with the people in Jerusalem, two hundred years before Christ. Now, now that could be established historically, and it could be established. I could establish that and and find corroborating evidence for that in the Greek poets themselves. Okay, and he says uh, in this speech, he, he says, we know that Egypt was brought upon its high cultural level by Aryan immigrants. Absolutely. And, and he's right about that, and he's right about them mixing their race, and he's right about that causing their decline. There's no doubt. Well, it, it actually caused these uh, people in Egypt to be able to do so much of what they did which they could never have done without that mixing with the Aryans. But, uh, no, no, no. He looks at it, he looks at it as the, the Aryan subjugation of an aboriginal population, and that part isn't quite true. It, it's really the, the settlement, it, it's really the establishment of an Aryan civilization that then looks to surrounding aboriginal populations for cheap labor. And, and we see that today. We saw that today in the eighteen, in in the late eighteen, early nineteen hundreds, with the, um, the the forced emancipation of of the Negro, and the um, the bringing of the Negro North to 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 staff the factories of the North for cheap labor. We see that again today but with the absorption of all these Mexicans in our society because the plutocrats want cheap labor. But, well, it was the same thing with Egypt and the Nubians. Now, how are you sure about that? that how, um, sure, how am I sure? Because he, and then he says Persian, Greece, the immigrants were blonde, blue-eyed Aryans. I'll tell you exactly how I'm sure about that, okay? Because I read yeah. the Egyptian inscriptions, okay? The Egyptian mm-hmm. inscriptions, when you read the earliest Egyptian inscriptions, and I can show you the books, I have them here right next to me. When you read the earliest Egyptian inscriptions, non-Egyptians weren't even men. They weren't even people. They were treated like dogs. But when the new kingdom came, when Egypt became an empire, then... You see the inscriptions, you see the political climate and the social climate in the inscriptions themselves change, and they start to accept these other people as people. Okay, now you're saying that the original Egyptian people were, were extremely blonde, blue-eyed Aryans. Well, well I, I don't know about, you know, blonde in the sense of yellow hair, no. When, when you say blonde in the sense of fair hair, red hair, light brown hair, um, well, that's, um, he says that. I, I thought I'm only well, reading well, it. Yes, I, I would say that the original people in Egypt, the original establishers of Egyptian culture, wouldn't have looked much unlike people in Germany and Ireland today, right? But he, yes, but Hitler in this speech is calling that, these people the immigrants. Well, well, the immigrants well, who came, the who came in there and mixed with these people, I guess. In, in uh, sense, they are immigrants, according to the, the, the um, genealogies in the Bible. They came from Mesopotamia and established that, that their land and, and, and their their culture in Egypt. Okay. Okay. So it's not too far off. Um. But uh, he, he says this is where the mixed races came from. 
Well, well, right. Our uh, our race has branched out, and and, and whenever we left the, the cradle of where we were at, and, and in at one time, four thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, that cradle was Mesopotamia, and in later times, the cradle has moved west. Okay, it it, it went from Mesopotamia to Anatolia to Greece, to Rome, and, and, and then northward to Germany, to Britain, and, and, and then westward to the United States, where, where, where you know, there's a, a well, well, at one time it was a lot more homogenous, right? 50 years ago it was a lot more homogenous. But, but mm-hmm. um, the, the cradle of our civilization has moved west and north for, for all these centuries, and, and for 40 centuries or 50 centuries. And whenever people branched out, they ended up mixing with Aboriginal populations, yeah. and, and that led to their demise. And it happened in the East, and it happened in Egypt, and, and, and it happened in India, it happened in China. That There were Aryans in China who introduced mm-hmm. a, a higher level of culture in China. And when the blood died, well, when the blood was worn out, China stopped advancing. So what's happening now? So what's going to happen now? Well, well, now instead of us branching out into these places and eventually mixing in with people, now, now we're bringing them into our cradles, and, and the same thing is going to happen. All of the ancient civilizations, Egypt, um, Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome, they all fell due to race mixing and balkanization. That's one of the lessons in the Bible. If people would only stop considering it a Jewish book and read the damn thing, it's one of the lessons in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when the yes, iron it is. Clay, Daniel chapter 2, the, the iron mixes with the clay, and they will mingle themselves with the seed of men. Well, there's two words in Hebrew. There's actually three words in Hebrew for man. And, and those words are distinguished, and we've lost those those distinguishments. We've we've lost those distinctions in, in our language. Now we would look at a, at a Negro and call him a man. Well, well, the Hebrews wouldn't have done that. They had a different word. Now, now, yeah. now they will mingle themselves with the seed of men. That that word is a different word than the word Adam, which is the the proper word for for a man. And they would mingle themselves with the seed of Enosh, and, and that has a different intonation and, and suggests that because we race mix, our empires fall, and, and that's true. And that's the imagery. That well, that is true. That is true. That is true. However you arrive at it. Yes, it is. Of course, you want people to understand that you arrive at it through the Bible. I understand that uh, because it's so clear to you. But... Uh, with Hitler, that's what he wanted people to arrive at. However, he was able to arrive at it. Um, well, well, he was, but he used in many places, and I just quoted four of them, right? He, he used biblical um, allegory and, mm-hmm. and, and scenes from the Bible that, that Christian identists, that identity Christians, if you want me to say it that way, that identity Christians like myself, also understand to be representing those same things that Hitler used them to represent. And, and that's where he did good with the Bible, but there are places where he did bad with the Bible. His, um, and I would like to point one of them out. You know, his um, portrayal of the Bible as having an anti-work ethic 
and he uses one line from Genesis chapter 3 oh, to yeah. support that. And that's totally wrong. And I would like to read just a couple of passages. Okay. I'm going to uh, – I have to go get something, Bill. It'll just be like 15 seconds, but I'm going to take my earphones off, and you, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, and then I'm going to read Genesis 2.15. And every and this is talking about the creation of God in, in the poetical and allegorical terms that the early books early chapters of Genesis use, where it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. And there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, I would say that this is very allegorical language, but it shows that the purpose of the creation of man was to till the earth and to keep the earth. The purpose of the creation of man was agriculture and horticulture, the original stated purpose of the creation of man in the Bible. Things so contrary to the nature of the Jew that this alone actually denies the claims of the Jew in regards to the book. It's that simple. The reason well, wasn't wasn't the purpose of agriculture to feed it for us to feed ourselves? Well, well, yes, but I'm letting you know this is allegorical language, and the purpose of of the creation of God given by the Bible, the purpose of the creation of man, was because there was no man to till the ground. In other words, man was created to work. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, now Adolf Hitler looking for for things to indict the Jews with. You takes out of context one line in Genesis chapter 3 and, and says, well, the Jews never work, and here's why. Well, well that's not quite true. It, it's not accurate at all. The Bible, all through the Psalms, the Proverbs, the prophets, it, it's a blessing to man if he eats the fruit of his own labor. If another man eats the fruit of your labor, it's a curse. And, and if you eat the fruit of another man's labor, that's a curse on that other man. It's a, oh, it's a curse on you if uh, somebody eats the fruit of your labor? Well, well yes. Well, well a, another man, an alien, uh, an outsider eating the fruit of your labor is considered... Well, oh, right? so you're wrong to give it to him. You're wrong to allow that to happen. Well, well no, we're, we're not talking about um, kindred community here, right? What we're talking about tyranny and oppression... What we're talking about mm-hmm. sin and punishment in, in those terms. Yeah, so if you let people who are not a part of your community come and eat your that's a curse. your labor, that's a curse. Yeah, yeah I get so that. So if you plant the garden of, of, of blueberries and the damn Mexicans down the road come and steal all your blueberries, that's a curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's cons- You're not supposed to let that happen. Yeah. If you plant a, a garden and you eat the fruits of it in the Bible, that's considered a blessing. Right. Well, we're talking about a dog-eat-dog world here, right? Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. It's, it's easy to understand, and the other is just screws up your mind. You know, the, the opposite of that. 
Well, well, right. You, you don't. You, you know, it's it's a punishment against you. That's how it's seen in the Bible. It's a blessing to eat the fruits of your own labors in the Bible, and a punishment when when you toil and others eat it. Well, Do all Christian identity people or identity Christians see that the same way? And would they are they understanding of that? And do they say well, that? I think yeah, you know, Clifton Emma Heiser, um, Mark Downey, Don Elmore, the, 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 the Christian identity, uh, identity pastors that, that I know would not disagree with anything I've said tonight. Not, no, they wouldn't. But, what, but what, some, would all of them? You know, there's a lot of them. I'm I don't like sure it. a lot of them would. Yeah, you know, even Eli James, we disagree on a lot of things, but he wouldn't disagree with anything I said tonight. No, but and would he say? Does he know? Does he say the same thing, or does? Well, know? well, if we talked about this topic, I'm I'm sure that he would probably say the same thing. I I don't yeah you know I can't guess what they would say. Mm-hmm. You know I, I don't, But but this the, the the text of the scripture is plain. Man was created because there was no man to till the ground, and God planted a garden and gave it to that man to till and and to tend that. That's the way it's drawn. That's the the poetical picture that's drawn in the creation. But the the message that it conveys is that we are to work. And and there's a clear example in the Bible where, where God says that he worked six days and rested on a seventh and expects us to do the same. Uh, okay, well, and and that's the pa- a pattern throughout Scripture. So so this idea that Jews don't work because they get it from the Bible. Well, well, Jews don't work, and I'll tell you why they don't work. They get it from the Talmud. The Talmud despises yeah. manual labor, and of all the fields in manual labor, it despises agriculture the most. You know what? Um, now, what was I going to ask you? Where so? What does that verse mean? It's just a simple, uh, one simple statement uh, that that Hitler quoted, you, uh, which I'm very familiar with too, because it's early on there, excuse <coughs> me, the Garden of Eden story, that uh, by the sweat of your brow you'll bring forth whatever. Uh, what was that? By uh, well, well, it basically it basically means that that means. <laughs> that man's agricultural pursuits would be a lot more toilsome. Now, now yeah, because if you look at later history, the, the way amazing. I look at that, the, the way I look at that is because we mixed our race back there in the Garden of Eden, we've had nothing but strife and war and contention ever since. But it really wasn't in this one instance in the Garden of Eden that we mixed our race. That. Well, I was going to no. say that's a metaphor, and now you've been talking this, about this wrong process. This is portrayed as the first incidence where, where the Adamic creation, the white man, made yeah, it right, right. right? Right at the beginning. Yeah. Okay? And it's been a curse to us ever since, right? Mm-hmm. And we were expelled from paradise because of it. Well, well, if we never mixed our race, none of these other races would ever be a threat to us. Mm-hmm. They, well, that all makes that sense. Uh, until they have, uh, un, un, until they're, they're, they're um, bred with our blood and, and, and gain a lot of our intelligence and, and strength and, and other aspects. The, the, the squat monster in Latin America is never a threat to us. Mm-hmm. The, the bushman in Africa would never be a threat to white civilization, but when, but when you race mix with them and create the American Negro 
and, and pepper your land with them, literally pepper your land with them. Well, well now you have a threat to, your, to the peace and well-being and security of your land. And, and the newspaper reports every day prove that. But right. they were Bushmen in Africa. They were never a threat to us. Right, right. And the same thing with the yellow monsters that come out of Asia. Well, don't you – now, uh, the great conspiracy theory would be that this is a conspiracy that, uh, that brought this on. And then others say, well, this is just white people's weakness that has brought this on. Others, uh, again, going back to that, it's a Jewish conspiracy that realized that this is our weakness and they played it up and, and now they've ruined us. Well, well, there's two ways for me to answer that, right? Mm-hmm. If you understand what, like, certain varieties of, of identity Christians understand, not all of them would, would, would say this, that the Jews really descended from, from those people who the serpent represents in, in Genesis chapter 3, and, and that it has been their plot all along to destroy our race and, and miscegenation and, and pandering to our weaknesses and, and our sexual proclivities it is the way they usually get to us. Yes, I would agree with that. But historically, we don't even have to look at it that way. Every time we mix our race, we're screwed, basically. And that's true, and, and history proves that. And the Jew is the, the greatest agitator and has historically been the greatest agitator in that regard. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, I think uh, a lot of people who don't, and this doesn't include Hitler, though, who don't want to blame the Jews for everything, uh, don't want to allow that understanding to come about. Uh, so they, they don't want to see the Jew as the problem. Uh, well, well, right. But, but, it's, the, but it's true. It's, it's our mixing, too, and it's not only we mix with lots of people. Well, well, right, we do. And, and it's always to our detriment, no matter who we mix in. But the truth about the Bible is that the Aryan man really is the pinnacle of God's creation. And all of history and all of our achievements and, and cultures, and, and yes, they've been destroyed, and we've just illustrated the primary reason why they've been destroyed. But all of those achievements prove that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. Beyond doubt to anybody who really takes an honest look at ancient history and at modern history. Now, now Hitler also said that in his speech. You know, he said only only the Aryan man can create a state, and only the Aryan has created states. Absolutely, a- absolutely, the Aryan man has created the states that that we that that the modern American perceives the squat monsters and the Negroes as having come from today. The Aryan man created those states, right? I mean, the Aryan man created Kenya and, and the Congo and, and um, Brazil and Paraguay. And, and, of course, a lot of those were settled originally by white settlers. But we drew the lines. We set up their governments. We gave them the patterns to, to, um, to live and to rule by. And, and um, that they don't do anything with them but destroy them. But but we set all that up. We set all that up during during the imperial age of England and and um, the later United Nations. But it's all Aryan creation, and and, and it's all co opted and 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 bled bled well bled to death by the Jew, basically. 
What uh, What about the idea that uh, is so accepted today that Jews are such a superior kind of people? They're so smart, and they can do all this. Whereas we know that they could not even run Israel on uh, if they were left to themselves. Well, well, right. Jews are not a superior people. Jews are not smart. Yes, Jews Jews have acumen in, in certain areas that that they've um, concentrated on accumulating and, and concentrated on enhancing. That they have cultural values that are totally contrary to the Aryan man. And because they have certain cultural values, they stress in their children education in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the education that they receive in those areas, and because the Jew is able to do that, because the Jew operates, the Jew is a genetic crime ring, and that's how they operate. And they always favor each other, and they always help each other. Whites should do good to emulate the Jew in their relationships with other whites. We might all be better off, because the Jew will always loan his money to the Jew when it comes time to invest, and so will the white man. He'll always loan his money to the Jew when it comes time to invest. That's our problem, right? We're our own worst enemy in many respects. However... Because the Jew understands the importance of certain vocations in achieving his international agenda, whether they understand it consciously or not really is immaterial because they always seem to follow it. Right. They express education in certain areas. But the Jew has never really created anything on his own. And that's true. And Hitler believed that. And that's true. Without the Aryan the Jew would still be sitting in, in, in the deserts of Canaan, where he came from, scratching the fleas out of his ass, along with his Arab brothers. Um, yeah, so... Um, I, I know you don't like that metaphor, but I had... Well, no, I, I had a good uh, question, but I, I lost it. I see Joshua. Joshua in, in the Bible, he was the Adolf Hitler of his time. If the, if the Hebrews had invaded the land of Canaan had been Jews, they'd have invaded it with briefcases and not with swords. Actually, the Canaanites and the Canaanites and the Kenites and, and the Edomites of the ancient world, who Joshua was supposed to exterminate and failed, they are the forerunners of the Jews. And we mixed with them. And that was to our detriment. And that's the story of the Bible. Um, I know that's complicated, and, and, and it goes against everything that these modern Judeo-Christian, uh, I mean, there's a reason why they call them that, churches teach, but that's the truth. Well, let me just ask you this question I've been waiting on. Um, well, it's not really a question, but for people, identity Christian or Christian identist or whatever, either way, should be clear to people, but it might not be clear to everyone what it means and why that's said that way. What, is, what does it mean? Why is it about, it's about identity? Well, well we, we, we first, get, you know, the identity Christian should be one who, who has, has um, well, well, of course, this is only going to be at the academic or, or, or the leadership levels, right? Well, one who has studied the scriptures 
and their original languages to the greatest extent possible to determine what they really say, because that's important. There's a lot of bad translations in our Bibles that make them sound universalist, that, that feed the, the, um, the church structure and hierarchy that we see. And, and we also study that in, in concert with ancient history and archaeology and attempt to correct the historical record in regards to the Bible. And we call it Christian identity because we're identifying the peoples of the Old Testament as they properly should be identified rather than taking for granted the lies which the Jews have accumulated and, and put out as propaganda over the centuries. Well, now, Hitler said uh, several times that uh, the Bible is, doesn't think it's all true or it doesn't have to be true or it's not necessarily all true. He didn't say it wasn't true, but, you know, he made comments like that. And uh, for most, most people today, thinking that there's this book that has been put together by men and that is uh, actually God's absolute true word to us, it's hard to... It's really hard to go along with that. It seems so fableish, so, well, well, last, so uh, fantastic. On last night's program, I took most, I didn't get all the way through it, I took most of the first chapter of Amos, and I fully coordinated it with the Syrian inscriptions, which were published by Princeton University in English in 1969, which weren't dug out of the ground until the late 1800s. Yeah, but, you know, I know that sometimes you can do things like that, and, and it seems like it's just perfect, whereas um, well, well, these it, it could be also explained some other way. I mean, you could find something else. Oh, these inscriptions are perfectly clear, right? That they're, okay. they're talking about the same cities, the same people inhabiting those cities, the destruction of those cities. It, it's, they're perfectly clear. This isn't some fuzzy... Um, but isn't it so, it's so fantastic to think that this Bible, every word, are you saying that every word is true and from God, and if we just understand it right, we'll know well, well, what he's telling us? You can't say that every word in the Bible is true because the later books of the Bible themselves tell you that, that some of the earlier books were corrupted by the hands of men, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the later books of the Bible tell you that some of the earlier books were corrupted. But the general narrative of the Bible, I believe that the Bible, for the most part, was the inspired word, word of God. When it was recorded by men, it was inspired. It was inspired by, 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 a, um, by, by something transcendental to this material world, right? Whether you want to call it the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, what, what, whatever you want to call it is, is okay with me, but there's more to this creation than we see, and, and if we don't understand transcendence, and that's a program I did with, with, with Severus, um, where we totally agree on that in those terms, uh, two weeks ago, I think, here? Yeah, I listened to it, but I, didn't, I couldn't finish the whole thing, so... I listened to at least an hour or more than that. If you don't understand transcendence and if you don't accept it, then basically what you end up with is a Jewish mentality. You're a materialist, right? And, and mm -hmm. you're going to um, descend to the level of animal. But we have to understand that there is a greater purpose to life. That, that's part of the Aryan spirit. That's part of the Aryan heart. That, and, and that's been with our race forever. And, and I could 
demonstrate that from, and, and I have demonstrated that from all of the ancient writings of the various branches of our race. So, so it, it's, I believe that the Bible was inspired by God, that, that it was a, a book of inspired writers who, who actually, even though they, that they lived over many, many centuries, if you understand their writing, uh, over many, many centuries and, and, and miles apart from each other and, and eons apart from, or, or at least centuries apart from each other, that mm-hmm. these men actually each wrote pieces of, very co- of a very cohesive general narrative that, that's amazingly cohesive once you understand the context. It's amazingly cohesive. Now, take that for what it, for, for what it will, the, the Bible can, it can be proven with an honest look at archaeological findings to be a very re- reliable book, but the protagonists of the book were not Jews. If you think that the protagonists of the Old Testament and the New were Jews, then none of the Bible is true. Because the, so the Jews were always left out. I mean, the Jews were never played they, any role. The Jews are the antagonists of the Old Testament. They usurped the kingdom of Judea, just like they usurped New York, just like they infiltrated and usurped London, just like they infiltrated and usurped Paris, Munich. Um, I, I don't care what European city you want to think of the last thousand years, the Jews have infiltrated and usurped them all. Well, 2,200 years ago, they infiltrated and usurped Jerusalem. Okay. Well, now here he says, uh, getting back to the speech, he says, that finally, he's talking about the three things, uh, work, um, the uh, purity of the race, which we've kind of covered, and then uh, the culture, you know, uh, following our own culture, and um, they, uh, they're um, corrupting our culture. And he says, finally, the Jew does not possess this third factor, the inner spiritual life. I do not need to explain here what a Jew generally looks like. Well, anyway, they don't possess an inner spiritual life. Well, well that is true. And if you, if, if you look at the New Testament, right, the, the Pharisees, Christ addressed the Pharisees all the time, right? And mm-hmm. there was another group there that was unmentioned, and, and they were actually the most common group amongst the common people, the Essenes, right? And, and, and Christian doctors, if you read, we know a lot about the Essenes through the historian Flavius Josephus, who lived in the first century and wrote in the first century, later than Christ, about 50 years after Christ he wrote, right? Well, well Flavius Josephus describes the Essenes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in great detail, the, the, the philosophical sects of the Judeans, that their their um, spiritual beliefs and, and Christ always addressed the Pharisees. He only addressed the Sadducees once because that's when they addressed him. They accosted him, and he, he was very demeaning to them. And, and um, other than that, he never addressed the Sadducees. He never preached the Sadducees. He never sought to evangelize Sadducees, and that's because the Sadducees were the deniers of everything spiritual. And the Sadducees were the high priests at the time of the crucifixion. The Sadducees were his real arch enemies. He, was, he, he saw hope in the Pharisees. He dined with them. He taught them. He, he, he um, communed with them. He never saw hope in the Sadducees. The Sadducees of Judea are the real forerunners of today's materialistic Jews. 
And the Sadducees were also the party and the priesthood of the Edomites. And they were the people that had usurped the kingdom 200 years before Christ. And, well, the process started 200 years before Christ. Now, the Sadducees are basically the philosophical forerunners of the Jews. Now, but the Jews are, are a very divided people, even within their individual selves, and that's because they're so damned race-mixed. Yeah, you know, that's the biggest mistake Hitler, Hitler took for granted. He was a young man here, but he took for granted the Jewish claims to racial purity. And the Jewish claims to racial purity yeah. are a fairy tale. And all you have to do is go to jewishfaces.com, and then you look at jewishfaces.com, and you imagine those people to be racially pure, you've got to be out of your mind. Well, you know, they probably, you know, they can pick out the ones they want. But there is the fact that there are Jews who uh, look damn good. Uh, and of course, they can always get nose jobs. Uh, some of them, you know, have these, don't, don't have Jewish... You're right. There's a lot of actresses and actors that people always have the hots for and find out they're Jews later. It ruins their, all their fantasies. You're right. You're right. But those Jews are usually a quarter Jew, an eighth Jew. They have a lot of white blood, and they still need nose jobs. Yeah. But Jews are not racially pure by any stretch of the imagination. They've never been racially pure. Hitler even went so far as attributing the many diseases that Jews bear to the fact that they're too inbred. Well, well, let's talk about the population of Iceland, right? Iceland only had 78,000 people on the island in 1900. Iceland hadn't had any new blood injected in any significant numbers at all for a thousand years. Well, maybe 800 years in 1900. There were only 78,000 Icelanders. And there's very, very few birth defects, and they don't have any of the diseases that the Jews have. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Jews have all those diseases because they're racially pure, then the Icelanders should have three times you know, disease. I, I, yeah, I don't like that either. I, I read some things uh, some years back uh, about the truth about genetics and that when you, uh, when you inbreed, and you breathe out all the bad stuff, then you just have the good stuff, you know, coming up again and again and again. It's very, very consistent. And it's, it's wrong to think that we should always be outbreeding uh, all the time. And I think that uh, Hitler didn't understand that then. Uh, and he may have changed somewhat later on. I don't know if he talked about it. What do you say to that? Do you think I'm wrong in that? Well, well I, I'm, yeah, you know, it's... It's a Jewish trick to, tell, to teach us that there's strength in diversity, in genetic diversity. That's a Jewish trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I think that it's, it's wrong to put down uh, groups of people who are considered somewhat inbred and saying they're, you know, morons and this and that. Being just, great. It's not the truth. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Hybrid vigor. Let's talk about hybrid vigor. This is the pagans love to love to repeat this. I've heard atheist whites repeat this. Maybe it's not right to call them pagans, but I've heard atheist whites repeat that this Jewish fable about hybrid vigor. Let's talk about hybrid vigor a little. If India, India was a great civilization at one time. I mean, it's described by the Greek writers that they respected India when it was white. Okay, Persia. 
Persia was a, a, a wonderful nation, a powerful nation, a great civilization. Xenophon and the ancient Xenophon said that they had skin that was so white that it startled the Greeks. And, and that's because they didn't take their clothes off in the sun, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's the way Xenophon described them, right? And, and he was startled by how white their skin was. And Xenophon, 4th century B.C., he was there. The March of the 10,000, it's a very famous story. It's called the Anabasis. He was there. He met them face-to-face in battle. Now, the, the, um, all of the, the Egyptians, all of these great white civilizations, they, they all fell apart when they bastardized. Now, now, Persia was overrun by Arabs. It was overrun that, that they mixed with Indians, that they mixed with Mongols when the Mongols came through Persia, that they, they mixed with just about every race. If you took, they probably don't have anything missing from Eurasia in their blood, okay? Where are they today? It's a backwards cesspool. If there was such a thing as hybrid vigor, that then we should be yeah. using their technology. Where is it? Everything they have comes from Europe, comes from European engineers. Everything. Where is it? Where's that hybrid vigor? Egypt. Egypt was overrun by Arabs. Egypt is actually the Arab Republic of Egypt. Did you know that the word Arab is a Hebrew word that means mixed? The word think, Arab yeah. is a Hebrew word that means mixed, right? Mm-hmm. The Arabs are mixed. That, that's a historic fact. That yeah. They're mixed blood from just about every other race under the sun. If you look at Egypt the way it was in, in, in the 18th and 19th dynasties, in, in 1900, the time of Abraham, right, 2000 B.C., it, it was at the pinnacle of world civilization at that time. The, the pyramids are amazing structures. We probably couldn't duplicate the Great Pyramid today. But, well, Egypt was an amazing, um, an, an amazing civilization at, for its time, and they were overrun by Nubians. They actually started to mix voluntarily, and then, then they were overrun by Nubians uh, around um, 750 B.C. And, and black kings really did prevail in Egypt for about 75 years. And, and even though they were eventually repulsed, Egypt was never the same again. The, the Egypt of later Roman times, that was Greek, right? It was never Egyptian. It was all Greek. It was Macedonian. But, well, Egypt was never the same again, and it's been a cesspool ever since. Oh, this is so depressing, because here we are. We think that we're still white, you know. We think that we're still Aryan, and and I guess uh, we are. Some of us are. Um, I don't know, uh, but, you know, what what chance have we got to keep this going? And look at all that's been lost. Well, right, but that's my point. And this is the story the Bible tells, Carolyn. If we'd only identified the parties properly, we would find that the Bible is actually a very accurate book historically and prophetically. But we well, you're being very persuasive to me tonight. You are persuasive when I listen to you. Okay, here's, now here's a sentence that fits in with what we're talking about, pretty much, um, that I would like you to clarify from Hitler in the speech. On the one side, there was always a great chasm between the tribes of Judah and Caleb and the northern Israeli tribes, and only David, for the first time, succeeded in gradually bridging the chasm to the cemetery cult of Yahweh. uh, That's actually what we were talking about earlier. Right. What Hitler did here, 
is he's trying to rationalize how these so-called Jews, because he thinks that these people are Jews, right? He's trying to rationalize how they could have built Jerusalem and into the great city that it was in the ancient world. And, and, and if these people are all Jews, well, well, that doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense because the Jews have never done such a thing. They've never done such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so he's trying to imagine that these other Israelite tribes are probably Aryans, and, and they established this Yahweh cult in Jerusalem and sucked these Aryans in so that they could build up their city. Oh, okay. That, right, so David, David would have been uh, one of the Aryans? No, no, David would have been a Jew that actually conned these Aryan Israelite tribes in, into building Jerusalem for him, right? That, that's, what, that's the picture Hitler's trying to draw there. Because Hitler, and he's right, he can't conceive how Jews built Jerusalem and, and, and made it a great city. He's right. But the truth is that David wasn't a Jew. The truth is that David and all of the Israelites were Aryans, and the Jews infiltrated later. Well, now, I, I thought that archaeology had shown that there was never any great city of Jerusalem. Well, well the archaeology, you know, there's the school of um, biblical minimalists, okay? The, mm-hmm. and, and they're all Jews, for the most part, and they're clowns. They're all clowns. I could open up books of Assyrian inscriptions, which were, were translated 150 years ago. I can open up ancient history books, and I could show that, yes, there was a great city, Jerusalem. Well, you know, this is a problem because, uh, you know, I've read <clears throat> this material, this new archaeology that says that there's no evidence for the biblical uh, Stories of you know no they didn't have these buildings and these cities and this great kingdom and so on. And, it's all, and, and I I went along with that. Scholarship comes from the Jews, Carolyn. Yeah, they are Jewish. Israel Finkelstein is the biggest. One. Yeah, that was supposed to convince you that it was really true because it was the Jews who were. Yeah, yeah well, they do anything. They, they claim the Bible is theirs, and they do anything they can to destroy it. And that way they undermine Christianity because that's their real goal is to destroy Christianity. Well, where is this evidence? I haven't seen it. You said you can open a book and read about it or something. Oh, well, listen to my program from last night. Look at my notes. You'll see some of it. You'll, you'll see a good portion of it. Oh, yeah. It's hard. <laughs> the inscriptions talk about having um, taken Samaria, the capital city of Ephraim, and destroyed it and carted away 27,000 people from Samaria. But the Assyrian inscriptions talk about taking 46 fenced cities and, and destroying them in Judah and, and carting off 200, 250,000 people of Judah into captivity. Yeah, but you think all those stories are... Some true stories. And look at the, some of those stories in the Old Testament. Where they said they, they murdered a million, a million Jews were murdered and the blood was running all over the place. And you know something, Carolyn? When you have your Bible handed down, and you know it was handed down, we know that the Bible is at least 24 centuries old because we have parchments that are that old. Okay? And then um, 3,000 years after the fact, Henry Layard in, 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 um, goes to Mesopotamia because now it's, it's under the rule of the British, and, and he's able to dig up these mounds, that these mounds of dirt in the desert, 
and finds these ancient Assyrian cities under them and these palaces, and they start to decipher the cuneiform tablets that they found there, and, and, and totally independent of the Bible, that, that they find all of these inscriptions that support the biblical stories um, 100%, except that they're written, of course, from a totally different perspective, but, but that doesn't matter. And, what do you mean? What do you mean they're written from a different perspective? Well, well, I'll tell you a different. I'll, I'll tell you a different perspective, right? The siege, the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem, what which happened in the reign of Sennacherib, who ruled Assyria from about 724, I think, to 708 BC, in there somewhere, right? I forget. Uh, I got it in my notes, right? Well, well, Sennacherib goes and he takes 46 fenced cities of Judah, what which are all the major towns, right? And they're walled because they're called fenced cities. And um, he carts off 200,000 people, and he destroys all the walls. And his armies do this. And, and then he goes and besieges Jerusalem, and Hezekiah is the king. And the biblical narrative tells us that, that, that God sent down a plague on the Assyrian army and killed a lot of its men, and the Assyrians gave up the, the siege, and they packed up and went home. Okay? That's one perspective, right? That that's the perspective of the, uh, perspective of the people in Jerusalem, right? And, and then 3,000 years later, somebody digs up these tablets, actually probably about 2,700, 2,600 years later. Somebody digs up these tablets out of the desert in, in, in um, the, the ancient capital cities of Assyria, and they find these tablets, and they decipher them, and they find a story which was inscribed by the scribes of Sennacherib, that king, and, and he brags that he besieged Jerusalem and destroyed all the cities of Judah and left Hezekiah um, sealed up like a bird in a cage. That was the word he used. That, that was the language he used. The king. Well, well, right. He bragged because he made political he, – he politically – it was actually a failed siege – but he used language that made him look like he got a victory out of it, right? I mean, it's the same story from a different perspective. Okay, I see. Well, just well know these things unless you read all this literature. I, I mean, people. Yeah, and people aren't going to do it. The average people. I'm not going to do it. The average people in the street scoff at Holocaust revisionism. And they say, no way, you're not going to tell me six million Jews weren't gassed. What are you, crazy? What are you, an anti Semite? Mm -hmm. That's what they say. But mm -hmm. we've done the reading and we know there was no Holocaust, don't we? Right. Well, right. well the average person scoffs at the Bible, but, but I've yeah. done the reading and I know it's true. It must be very frustrating for you, Bill. I really feel for you because you're so, uh, you're, you're so convinced of it and you know so much and you're talking to all these people. Unless they have, just have the faith like a lot of the people who, who listen to you and, and like you and follow you and you know all that? They it comes from their Christian faith and they like the Christian identity, but they don't know all that you know. And you must feel pretty lonely, except you have a few other. Well, well, tasks. you think Germal Rudolph feels lonely when he tries to convince people <laughs> knows Zyklon B in the walls at Auschwitz? I, I mean, yeah, that's easier to understand, though. I mean, I can understand all that with no problem, but I have a hard time going all these thousands of years back and, you know, all this stuff and all these people and so on. Uh, I, well, you know, I maybe uh, have to start younger to do, to do all that, but it's, um, 
What well, well, we it's barely really fascinating, you know what you're saying. Well, we barely scratched the surface on the I know. beach. We didn't even get into it. I, I, I want to, you know, we spoke with the phone this afternoon, right? Yeah. And you told me that one thing that turned you off about the Abraham story what was the story about the sacrifice of Isaac, right? No, I didn't really. Uh, you, I guess you took, you just thought that. But I said uh, that uh, we were talking about how Hitler in his uh, speech here, he said, uh, I, I said I thought it was so funny, and I I hate giving that up when you said that when the when the people from the war came back they found all these Abrahams at the train station wandering around, you know, meaning the people who never went to the war, the Jews, and he was calling them the Abrahams, and I said you not you know you that's something you wouldn't like, you know, and I think it's really funny. But and then you talked about um, the sacrifice of uh, of Isaac, I mean of. Uh, yeah, Isaac sacrificing. No, sacrificing. Well, well, the Jews... And, you know, that never has bothered me so much, but I'm sure it does bother a lot of people. Well, well I it does. It, it's, I hear it all the time that they can't understand how Abraham, being an Aryan, could sacrifice his son at the command of some god, right? Yeah, yeah. And, right. and that turns a lot of people off when I try to explain to them that these people were actually Aryans. And I would like to read one passage, in, and this passage comes from the Epic Cycle. The Epic Cycle is some of the oldest Greek poetry in existence, and, and among the Greeks, okay? The Epic Cycle is the, the, um, it, it's the story of the heroic age, which includes the Iliad, the Odyssey, the fall of Troy. There were a lot of other poets from, from that period, and besides Homer, and there were a lot of other poems, and, and every one of those poems filled in parts of the Greek um, perception of the heroic age, which actually preceded the men who wrote about it by at least 600 years, right? I mean, Homer wrote circa um, 600 BC. I know that from documentary evidence, right? And, and I actually know it from Archilochus, the Elegaic poet, who, who attested to it, who wrote about okay. 500 B.C., right? Well, well um, Hesiod was more or less a, 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 a contemporary of Homer, and he was another epic poet. I'm going to read one paragraph from the Cypria, the, the Cypria, in, in, according to most pr- pronunciations. It's the Cypria in, in reality. The, the Cupria is an ancient poem, and it's part of the epic cycle. It dates to it at, at least the middle of the 6th century B.C. It, it dates to at least um, 550 years before Christ, and, and probably it's a little older than that, right? And, and let me quote this. It, it's quick. When an expedition had mustered a second time at Aulis, Agamemnon, Agamemnon was the leader of the, troop, the Greek troops that... that, that um, performed the siege and, and the destruction of Troy, right? Agamemnon, while at the chase, shot a stag and boasted that he surpassed even Artemis. Artemis was the Greek goddess of the hunt, right? Mm-hmm. This, the goddess was so angry that she sent stormy winds and prevented them from sailing, meaning that they wouldn't be able to reach Troy, Right. Calchas, Calchas was what was an ancient heroic Greek figure. Calchas then told them of the anger of the goddess and bade them sacrifice Iphigenia to 
Artemis. Iphigenia was the daughter of Agamemnon. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. This they attempt to do, sending to fetch Iphigenia as though for marriage with Achilles, the great hero, right? Yeah. Artemis, however, snatched her away and transported her to the Tauri. They were mountains in Anatolia, okay? Making her immortal and putting a stag in place of the girl upon the altar. Same story. Same story, but it's Greek. It's Aryan, Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I was never so bothered by that, uh, by that story because uh, he never actually did it, so I figured it was just part of the whole drama of what was supposed to take place in a, a lesson or something. But well, uh, I've had a lot of white nationalists scoff at the Bible, and that was one of the stories they pulled oh, the scoff at. And, and, yeah. and, and these people are ignorant because they have no background even in what they would consider to be Aryan literature. Well, and then, you know, you have these Greek uh, lovers and uh, the Greek classics and all, and they don't talk about that, but then they'll poo-poo what's in the Bible as though it's just a bunch of nonsense. And here you have the very same story. Well, well, that story that I just read isn't only in the Cypria. It's in Euripides. It, it's in other of the tragic poets. It was repeated by the historians. I, I mean, it was a commonly disseminated story. Well, like the story of the risen... Uh, Sun. Yeah. Well, well, our, our mythology has a common base wherever you look with the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Well, that is true, and that's been shown, that's been proven uh, in all kinds of ways by all kinds of people. That's very true. Well, when we take it for granted that the Jew, Jews are telling the truth when they claim that they're the people of the book, when we take that for granted... We are doing what we are committing two sins. The first sin is that we're giving up a part of our own heritage, and that could be established. That could be established through the Sumerian literature. That could be established through the Akkadian literature. That could be established through, through the classical historians, through, through the inscriptions. It could be established in a lot of ways. We're giving up a part, we're ceding a part of our own heritage to our enemies, and then. We are giving the Jews a legitimacy that they by no means deserve. Well, I find that very persuasive to say that the Jews have all, from what experience we have, they're always lying. They're always claiming things that aren't true. And they never tell the truth. All their stories about themselves are, are fables and made up uh, exaggerations. And so why would, uh, you're, you know, why would this be? I think that's one of the most persuasive arguments. Well, but this is the, the kind of thing where people will just turn away and just walk away instead of dealing with it uh, because they don't, you know, they can't answer it. The biggest cognitive disconnect with white nationalists is when they realize the Jews are lying about all these, that these events in history, but both ancient and modern, and, and then they just take it for granted that the Jews are the people of the book because they say so. Because they don't like the book. That's one reason. Well, because they see it as a Jewish book, and it's not. It was a book mm-hmm. absconded by the people who today call themselves Jews. Now, you can you detail how they did that, when they did it, and all of that? That They did it when the people of Judea, <laughs> and under the, the rule of the Maccabees, were convinced that they should 
um, subject all of the ancient Canaanites and Edomites who, who had moved into Judea after the, the, the Israelites and, and the people of Judah were taken away by the Assyrians. And that's in the Bible that they did that. Mm-hmm. It's in the Bible that the, the Edomites and the Canaanites were left in the land and, and that the Edomites had moved up from the south and, and some of the other tribes that we would consider Arab tribes today. It's in the Bible that they did that. And, and they decided, these Maccabees decided that since these people lived in the ancient land of Israel, that they should be converted to Judaism and circumcised and forced into the religion. And they did that. And it's in the Apocrypha in places, in, in the books of the Maccabees, and it's spelled out in the histories of, of the Judean historian Flavius Josephus. It's spelled out that they mm-hmm. did that. And, and, and that, when, when um, after the time of Christ, the, those people were um, constantly up in arms against the Romans, and, and those bonds in that period between those people had, had developed, and they, they had identified themselves as Judeans for so long, and, and they inherited that culture because most of the true Judeans were either killed or, or driven off or had the, the true white Judeans or had converted to Christianity and lost their identity as Judeans. That these people who were left behind, these Canaanites and Edomites, and, and they were mixed. Some of them were mixed with the blood of, of, of real Judeans. That there's no doubt. But these people had more or less been left the the the, the culture and, and the identity by default. Okay. And wow. Had it ever since. And, yeah. And okay. Them. That that sounds that sounds like the way we go. That they you know it as a mask. For, for the, the, the Canaanites of the Bible were always criminals. The Edomites were always criminals. And the people feel so sorry for them. Uh, well, I have too, because they're all, you know, being commanded by God to be slaughtered. Well, and how can that happen? You know, that's so terrible. But early Christians it. understood. Early Christians, the the first century and second century Christians. I got quotes from. Ignatius, the, the second century Christian bishop in his epistle to the Magnesians, that there's other quotes to the same effect, that, that um, they understood that Christianity was not a, a, a derivative of Judaism. They understood that Judaism was a perversion of Christianity. They understood that then. They understood that in the second century. That's Clement... In, in his epistle to the Magnesians, Ignatius states that explicitly, and, and they understood that. And, and even though later medieval Christians did not understand the history and, and the real identity of the people calling themselves Jews, they did understand this, that the Jews were the people of God's curse. And that's the truth. And they always have been cursed people. Yeah. But, and they are because they're they're just basic race mixers, huh? Well, well, yes, and and they're they're cursed in the first place because they're of mixed race. Yeah. Because people of mixed race in the Bible. And then we have people feeling sorry for them, like, well, it's not their fault. They are a mixed race. How can God be so cruel? Charlie Giuliani does this. How can this cruel God? I would never want this cruel God for my God. Um, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody. 
you know, and my comment here is that uh, we have Christianity today is so full of sentiment. It's all sentiment. And real Christianity, as you uh, describe it, is not sentimental at all. And God is not sentimental. But, they, you know, we've created this, this sentimental religion and this sentimental God and all this sentimental stuff, which is uh, weakness, really. You're well, well, yes, it, it, it absolutely is weakness. Uh, our sentimentality, our own empathy does us in quite frequently, Carolyn. It, yeah, yeah. Um, too well, much empathy, yeah. but also just the sentimentality about, oh, I feel so sorry for these people. Well, these people are going to destroy you, but people can't, would just rather be destroyed and not hurt the other ones because they feel so sorry for them. Or they're always saying it's not their fault. And so we're supposed to decide, and, and if it's not somebody's fault, then, then, uh, then uh, they're scot-free. Well, that's not the way it was looked at. There was what was desirable and what wasn't, and what was right and what wasn't, and what belonged and what didn't, period. Where'd you go? I'm, I'm here. I'm listening to you. Oh, well, I'm done. <laughs> Well, well, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get to cover more of the actual speech. It, it's posted at carolynjaeger.net, and and if anybody wants to see it and and see why we had this discussion about it, but because it's to me the the biggest fault that the National Socialists made, and the biggest fault that the white nationalists make today is in accepting that the. The, or, or at least taking for granted the Jewish lies that they're the people of the book. They're absolutely okay. not the people of the book. Okay, if people would reject that, then they could see where they might go from there. The Jews, are, the people who identify themselves as Jews today, they're not the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is an Aryan tribe. All right? King Solomon in... in um, who was of the tribe of Judah, King Solomon was described in Ecclesiastes, uh, I'm sorry, in the Song of Solomon, I'm sorry, as having ivory white skin and eyes like pools of water, but he had raven hair. Well, well, Hector of Troy, Prince Hector of Troy, also had ivory white skin and raven hair. Uh, I mean, some whites have black hair, there's no doubt. King David was described as being ruddy and fair, that the the um it, it's Josephus Flavius Josephus the the um first century Greek his, first century Judean historian writing in Greek he described Judeans in in the gymnasium as being no different in looks and appearance than Greeks except for the circumcision. And, and that if they could hide their circumcision, Josephus said they would look no different than Greeks. Now, the Greeks at the time were blonde. Strabo talks about the Syrians and tells us they were white. That the, um, the, the, There's all kinds of, uh, of literature. Well, what about these Jews? You're saying they weren't the real Jews. Well, well they're basically akin to the Arabs. Now, some of them are very white because they have a lot of Aryan blood in them. But but what about the circumcised ones that look like everybody else? Well, well, they have a lot of our blood in them. That they, okay. have, yeah, you know, that they're they're Jews, but they have a a great. They they've been race mixing with our race. They that started in Asia two thousand years ago. 
that they, they've been race mixing with our race. The Jews have race mixed with just about every race in in in, in existence. That mm-hmm. they, that they were they did most of their race mixing when they were um, when they were ostracized from the Byzantine Empire, and in the East they race mixed with with the Khazar and, and Turkish tribes, and they were Oriental in 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 their origination, and in the South in Africa they that they had race mixed with with the Arabs of Algiers, they they race mixed with the Arabs of of the the, the Sabai Peninsula. They did, they did a lot of race mixing in the centuries that they were ostracized from Europe. And, and um, that, that's the Sephardic Jews are basically Arabs by blood, and, and the Arabs are mixed. The Arabs themselves are race mixed. The word Arab means mixed. It, it's, um, the, the, the race mixing of the Jews is very complicated because there were so many Jews um, spread throughout the Roman world, and when they were ostracized by, by um the, the rise of Christianity and, and it's having become the official religion of Europe and, and, and the laws passed against the Jews when that happened, which basically, basically banished them from Christian society. And that's when the Jews did a, the, probably their greatest amount of race mixing, but with races outside of the Levant. But the Canaanites were a mixed race from very early times and and most Jews have Canaanite blood. That there's no doubt, if not all. So, yeah, well, you know, a lot of people would say, "Oh, what's the difference if people mix?" What? That's so stupid. You know, they just differences. But they're not Aryan, and, and you don't belong in Aryan society. That that's the that that's the difference. If we want to maintain our racial, cultural integrity, that then we, we have to recognize um, which of us are, are, are Aryans and, and which of us are definitely not. And that goes back to the hybrid thing, that hybridizing is not a strengthening thing or a better thing, although when, all- they, when they make hybrid uh, agriculture, they tell you that they've made improved products. Well, well, the first thing we have to learn is not to discuss all of these issues on the terms which the Jews have attempted to, to um, force upon us in order to govern the discussion in these issues. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. uh, through the media and, and, and through their control of academia, and, and what we can't accept that the arguments, the, the, the philosophical arguments which blur the racial lines. What we can't accept the paradigm that there is no such thing as race. There's definitely such a thing as race. Yeah. It's uh, all of these Jewish arguments are that they're ridiculous. That they should be ridiculed. That they shouldn't be accepted by whites. Oh, okay. This um, it's been a nice program. I I wish we could have probably hit on a speech a little more. I know you might be disappointed about that. No, actually, I found this fascinating, and I got a lot of things answered. So I'm I'm very satisfied with it. Uh, I imagine your listeners are too. Well, they can read the. The, the speech, and uh, we don't need to really go over it. We, I think uh, you wanted to uh, clarify some things, and I thought it was really good. I thank you for it. Well, well, I did, and and, and, and it's um, I'm glad I got the opportunity to do it. And, and I'll encourage people when, when I post a podcast to maybe visit your website, and, and I'll try to write a paragraph about um, why, why we had this discussion and why I feel about the speech like I did, and, and I'll do that in the morning. Okay, very good. And, 
And, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Praise Yahweh. This is William Fink, ChristiGenia.org. I will be here on Friday night, next Friday, February 8th, with the Book of Amos, Part 2, and further corroboration from the Assyrian inscriptions. Praise Yahweh. Good night. <laughs>